There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before you start this episode, this is just a reminder that History Hack does have a Patreon account and a Ko-fi account as well. You can either register to subscribe and throw us a few quid every month or simply buy us enough caffeine to continue through to the next episode. Because frankly, we run on fumes most of the time. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. We've finally got away from the 20th century. It's because Charlie's in the house. Charlie is always up for the challenges of not talking about the 20th century. Charlie, what have you found for us? Well, look, Alex, seriously, if I own gloves and handbags older than it, it's just not history, mate. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm dragging you way back. Uh, We've got today Dr. Ian Mortimer with us. He's best known as the Sunday Times best-selling author of the Four Time Traveller's Guides. So you may have one on your bookshelf. I'm a big fan of the Restoration Britain um, issue. There's Medieval England, Elizabethan England and Regency Britain. And he's also written four critically acclaimed medieval biographies, a prize-winning novel and several other titles. So this is a very busy gentleman we've got with us today. (laughs) Bloody overachiever. (laughs) I know. What's going on here making us all feel bad? Oh, I can't even add up my way through normal life, let alone that lot. (laughs) (laughs) Ian is also the biographer of Roger Mortimer, whose very daring escape from the Tower of London marks its 700th anniversary this August. And the title of the biography, The Greatest Traitor, should give you an idea of the intrigue you can expect in this conversation and the exciting event being held by the Mortimer History Society, which is commemorating the anniversary. So, Ian, yeah, thanks for overachieving. Thanks for coming to tell us about <laughs> all of this. Thank oh. you for joining us. Thank you very much for such a nice introduction. How many compliments? Keep it coming. How <laughs> many you at least have no friends and no social life because you're always working? That's right. I have no friends at all. No. That makes me feel better. Yeah, that makes me feel better. <laughs> no, no, you've definitely got two friends here, Ian. We are we are in awe of your overachieving, and uh, yeah, we we respect. And the fact, you know what, as well with the time traveller's guide to Elizabethan England, you did not do the thing. You did not just slap the word Tudor on the front of a book because it's still. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's a different story because. Spent a long time chatting <laughs> about how subjects, some, you know, people come back to the Tudors over and over and again. But <laughs> earlier this year, I've got to tell you this, earlier this year, there was a debate at Southwark Cathedral as to who was the, 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 the greatest English monarch. And everybody expected one of the Tudor queens to win. Uh, and, uh, well, one of the Tudors to win. Obviously, Elizabeth was favourite. But championed by yours truly, Edward III came out on top. And I now have a plastic trophy up there on that shelf behind me to show that Edward III is actually the greatest monarch of all time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is epic. So, yeah, Thank Edward you. III trounced uh, the, the Elizabeth. I, <laughs> it was a very funny event. It sounds like it did sound hilarious. I did hear about that event. And uh, mm. I, I tell you, Ian, if I'd have been there championing Charles II... I'd have that piece of plastic. Are we not going to do a down the pub like that where we roast each other, but as historical people? (laughs) That's got to happen. That's, that can maybe be our like birthday thing or Christmas thing or something. That would be good. 
I think it's very good. good. It's great fun to actually compare and contrast because you immediately suddenly have to look at things in juxtaposition with each other, which raises all sorts of questions you hadn't thought of before. And I tell you the most interesting one of all, the most underrated monarchs. Okay. And because then you're digging out why are they underrated? What is it about our perceptions and theirs or or their time that means they're underrated? I think that's the, the most fun of the lot. That's, Mine will be George V and I will die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, yeah, how do you judge a, a medieval king, like a warrior king, against like, someone like Elizabeth II, who was just, you know, of, of yeah. her time? It, well, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a tricky one. When I was looking around at uh, 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 the, 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 the audience after um, the dean had spoken so movingly about Edward II, Half of them were in tears. And I was thinking, how am I going to get them to <laughs> you know, sympathise with Edward III? It, it's tricky when you're talking about warrior kings. I mean, the, 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 because we, we aren't in favour of warriors on the whole, but we are in favour of people who stand up for the, the lesser man and lesser woman, uh, who protect, who actually look beyond the values of their time. So there are ways of uh, championing people who... Uh, who wouldn't go down well now? I'm just face it. Edward III started a war in order to promote peace at home, but um, yeah, we can actually step aside from our values and appreciate the difficulties of the time. But not with Henry VIII. He was just a douche. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He was a complete tyrant. Uh, I, I think many, not many kings, I sort of less like to spend time with. Maybe George the Fourth. Horrible. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, irresponsible. I, I'm with you all the way. I don't like him. I go so far to say I hate him. I actually <laughs> in the uh, gift shop of the Royal Pavilion slating George the Fourth. They were a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> well, by the time I finished, because some guy came up to me and said, "Have I seen your television?" And we got talking, and I. I I laid it down about George the Fourth, and the poor girl behind the counter went, but he was a great patron of the arts. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the only good thing about him, you can say. And uh, let's face it, it didn't have anybody else's benefit apart from his own. Yeah, yeah. we wouldn't have the pavilion without him. The pavilion is just, I mean, it's it's so bright. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but then he built Carlton House and then knocked it down. So um, <laughs> you, what you win on the roundabouts, you lose on the swings. That this, right. I think, I think, Alex, can we please arrange for Ian to be um, down the pub with us when we when we roast? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think this oh, is yeah. going to be. I'm feeling that we do need to make Dorman be Henry VIII and argue as Henry VIII because that would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> we are diverging massively away from medieval England. Take us back. Take us back. <laughs> I would, I'm going to take us back because I get the feeling we could just chat all day quite happily. Yeah. Um, so today. We are going to discuss mm. the great escape, but not the one that perhaps our listeners are thinking of. Um, Ian, why did Roger Mortimer need to break out of the tower in 1323? Right. The um, man was a lord, obviously important man. He had rebelled against the king, given up, uh, been locked up for it in the tower with his uncle who was uh, then in his late 60s. We're not talking about ordinary individuals being locked up. Uh, and Roger Mortimer um, was basically doing nothing in the tower while his nemesis, his arch-adversary, a man called Hugh Spencer, who had vowed to destroy him, uh, was plotting with the king to have him executed. Either he had to escape or he was going to die. 
and on the 1st of August 1323, he escaped, and the legacy of that escape changed England. Well, I kind of, I'm, I'm a bit devastated that he's not going to roar out if they're on a motorbike like Steve McQueen. Um, if he does, I'll be <laughs> he's, he's that sort of spirit. You know, Roger Mortimer would be Steve McQueen on a motorbike and he'd take those jumps himself, insisting on doing his own stunts. Uh, yeah, he, he escaped on the night of, of, of the first. And um, because he escaped and got away, and we'll talk about what happened next in the future, it's actually a really important event. And so the Mortimer History Society um, are uh, going to be marking this with a, a major event at the Tower of London on the 1st, the 700th anniversary. Outstanding. Let's go back, though. Let's leave people hanging with the fun stuff for now and go back and actually talk about who this guy is, because I vaguely remember his name from school. There'll yeah. be people out there, especially our American audience, going, I don't know who Roger Mortimer is. No, of course. No. If people have heard of him, he, he really sort of fills the role of... Um, dustbin for everything in the 1320s that went wrong um if anything bad happened blame it on roger mortimer and now because i've also got the name mortimer when i was at uh, school i would go through the school library and realize that every single book just castigated anybody called mortimer as a, a, a in, in the way you just chuck it in the bin i was thinking this is just all wrong so i started looking at a very early age into the uh, medieval mortimer family and roger mortimer is really quite a remarkable individual He's got a fantastic ancestry. Now, he, one of his ancestors is William Marshall, the greatest knight of the, the Middle Ages. He's related distantly to the royal family. He's a lord on the Welsh marches, which means he has, through his lordship, various special rights because traditionally, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> his family's responsibility was keeping England safe against the Welsh. He's enormously powerful. He's well-connected. And he um, starts to, uh, he fraternises as a young man with with Edward II, the king, uh, well, but the future king, becomes his friend, but also becomes a friend of Piers Gaveston, Edward II's uh, um, closest friend, and is a jousting hero, and he takes part in battles. He, he goes over at one point to administer Ireland on the king's behalf. He rules Ireland as a viceroy. The Irish think he's the best things in sliced bread, well, before they had sliced bread, obviously, because he gives them justice. And so he's actually built himself up to be a really important character. But there is this man called Hugh Dispenser who becomes the king's favourite. And he, as I mentioned earlier, had vowed to destroy Roger Mortimer. And Hugh Dispenser made himself indispensable, pardon the pun, to the king. And the king shunned Mortimer more and more and more, and Tudor Spencer decided to make some advances on some land that wasn't his. And eventually the Mortimers and several other lords rebel against Edward II because of his favourite Tudor Spencer. Um, they, you know, they, they do a few minor infractions. There is a bit of violence. Um, but eventually they submit rather than go to war with the king. They are essentially loyal men. And they, uh, yeah, so they, they submit to the king. And that's how Roger Mortimer ended up being locked up in the tower. Um, his allies at that point were, were met in battle and defeated. Uh, and most of them were killed. And so he found himself pretty much on his own as the only person who was a figurehead against this sort of dictator character manipulating the king this this Hugh Spencer character it's incredible um hearing hearing you you talk about this Ian because I just wish more people would be 
completely honest about how they how they got interested in the people that they got interested in in <laughs> history. And I love that. You just same name, felt he was being a bit hard done by, and yeah, the fascination comes from there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons why I'm interested in history, but family history is one of the ways that people get into it. And in my case, this isn't family history. Although Roger Mortimer had so many daughters, we are all now descended from Roger Mortimer. Having the name <laughs> is just a coincidence. Roger Mortimer, like Edward III, is a common ancestor of the English people. So in many ways, doing history from this period, we are doing our common family history. But he, he is one of those larger-than-life characters. I mean, at, at, at Kells in Ireland, when he got sort of uh, attacked by the Scots there, he, he, he fought his way out of the town and, uh, and rode back to Dublin. I mean, it's all very exciting stuff. Now, when he's, um, uh, 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 the king sends him to go and put down the rebellion in Bristol, and, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's an active man. He's a man who not just uh, administers justice, he fights for justice. And he, he is, uh, you know, he, he goes those, to these places and takes part actively in, in putting down rebellions and, and clearing, you know, well, trying to keep the Scots out of, uh, Ireland, which eventually his men do a few years later. Um, so he, he, he's a real man of action. And 1323, that escape, as we say, Steve McQueen style, it just underlines it. He ends up in the tower. Yeah. Basically because of a, it's, it's a falling out of King's favourites. Pretty much. I mean, it's basically a personal rivalry. It goes back because Hugh Dispenser's grandfather, who was also called Hugh Dispenser, was killed by Roger Mortimer's grandfather, who was also uh-huh. called Roger Mortimer. So this really doesn't help. You know, if, if, you know, there's a, there's a score to be settled and Hugh Dispenser has vowed to destroy Roger Mortimer. And, uh, as it happens, it didn't work out that way. Ooh. Can I just do what we always do on History Hack and divert away from the list of questions and terrify the guests? Although this guest is a powerhouse, I don't think it's going to matter. Um, <laughs> I have a vague concept in my head of Walter Riley in the tower with all his books and his stuff, and he's basically living it up, but just not yeah. allowed to go out. That's yeah. the kind of existence Roger Mortimer's got. Yeah, what I mean, like there? We can't be absolutely certain. Um, when I wrote The Greatest Traitor, the biography of him, it was my, my first biography. It was written over 20 years ago. And then I presumed from um, later histories that the the stones to the cell were levered out and he'd actually been padlocked in. Now, I'm not sure that's right. <clears throat> when we do the celebration on the 1st of August, one of the speakers, uh, um, Dr. Laura Tompkins, is going to go over what is actually known of the escape. And so I'm going to learn some things that day about what really happened in his uh, getting out of his cell. Um, but as I understood it uh, when I wrote the book, he he was incarcerated, as in locked up. Most of the time, very important people were just kept within the castle. Uh, for example, when Edward I was sprung by Roger Mortimer's grandfather from Hereford Castle, he was exercising on his horse in the yard. And basically, Mortimer could get in there with a number of troops and rescue him from his uh, guards. So there was a lot of trust in this age of chivalry, the way you looked after prisoners. When Roger Mortimer was later taken back to the tower in 1330, they took no chances. They didn't just lock him in. They walled him up into his cell. So it's not always you can come and go as you please in and out of your cell and live it up and have books or whatever. Well, the only other person I remember being walled up in history is that Elizabeth Battery. I'm sure there were more, but 
yeah. It's yeah, wow. sa- sadly, there's a, um, yeah, P- King John was not a very nice man. He, he decided to wall up, uh, some of his adversaries and starve them to death and, and things like that. So there are precedents. But the tower wasn't, you know, I mean, we, we, we still think of the, the tower as being this sort of horrible grey dungeon or something. It wasn't like, it wasn't the worst place to be put. It was a royal palace and kings resided there, but it was, Thought to be the strongest um, uh, castle in the southeast for looking after dangerous prisoners. So, if somebody was seriously a threat, they did get locked up in the tower. So, I think there were aspects of the tower which were secure and therefore probably quite psychologically intimidating alongside the royal palace. The heyday for the um, there's a lot of building work at this point, isn't there? Or yeah, the, 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 lot, uh, the, the palace was, yeah, very good way of putting it. It, it was the heyday of the palace, uh, of the tower as a palace. I mean, all the 14th century kings regularly resided there. Um, and the, the, the accommodation was, was good. If you think about the, um, going in through the, the, the lower part and where the Wakefield Tower is and the Royal Hall there that would have been in the inner bailey. Yeah, it would have been comfortable for 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 a, a, the royal family and secure, of course. And we forget about how much comfort there is in that security, that sense of security in a violent age. So, how does he get out? How does he get out? As I understand it, he got out because on the first of August, um, people took part in a celebration, great celebratory feast, including all the guards. They uh, uh, were celebrating the feast of St. Peter Advincula, St. Peter in Chains, who was the patron saint of uh, of the tower. Um, the chapel was in the tower. And that night, all the guards drank wine, they were given wine. The wine was drugged. And uh, the sub-lieutenant of the tower, a man called Gerald uh, Dolspey, didn't drink the wine. And after he was sure that basically all the guards were out of action, he hastened to Roger Mortimer with a rope ladder. Uh, got him out of his cell, <clears throat> took him to the kitchens, the, 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 the royal kitchens, and I understand that, and I, I, and there's a bit of conjecture here, I think he must have gone up through one of the chimneys in the, 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 the kitchen, uh, to get onto the roof, let himself down with the rope ladder into the outer bailey, was helped somehow over the wall of the, the, the outer bailey, got to the bank of the river where two agents acting on behalf of London merchants met him in the darkness, gave him a boat to get over the Thames because, of course, the bridge was shut at night. Uh, and there at the south side of the river, he was given horses, uh, him and one of his uh, friends, I think it was Richard Monmouth, his name, the, the friend's name was, and they rode hell for leather for Porchester. They went the unexpected route. They would have been expected either to go to Roger Mortimer's lands in Wales, uh, on, the, on the borders of Wales, or towards Dover. And they did something unexpected. They went down to Porchester and they evaded capture got a boat to the Isle of Wight and were <clears throat> taken by a boat uh, belonging to a London merchant across to France, where Roger Mortimer lived in exile until 1326. I mean, this is, this is cinematic stuff. I, mean, I know we've been sort of, we've, we've joked about going over the wall on a, on a motorbike and that would be amazing. This, this should be, have they made films of this? Tell me that there's some, there must be no, some. No, no one's ever made a film. As I tell you, he's always a baddie. You know, he, he's the dustbin in which we put all the rubbish. Um, because, uh, traditionally he was made a scapegoat by Edward III. And therefore we tend not to sort of look at him in a, a heroic light. The, and that's largely because of politics. We are still living in many ways with the political judgments of our Victorian forebears and those Victorian historians 
were very much on the side of authority. They were very much on the side of those in power must be right. And because they had no sensitivity to that being the wrong way of looking at history, they were very much the people writing on the behalf of the victors. Um, we, we don't look at these characters in in a way that appreciates what it must have been to fight against authority, uh, and especially corrupt authority in the 14th century. So we, because we've got these long-standing, deep traditions that are so difficult to overturn, uh, and even now, I mean, um, historians, professional historians are heavily biased towards authority. Uh, <clears throat> there's, there is a, isn't the, the inkling or the, the, the inspiration to look at these people as uh, anything other than criminals, basically. Well, I just don't even get me started on Victorian historians. Lord Isha is at the top of my shit list for his Queen Victoria and her... Uh, <laughs> I'm not including anything she ever wrote to another woman, because women never have anything interesting to say to each other. Okay? <laughs> right. Okay, has no female friends. Whatever. Um, Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, do we ramming it home for people then? He has offended the king, hasn't he? He has gradually fallen out of favour with the king to the point where the king is prepared to support his favourite's uh, antipathy, his hatred of Roger Mortimer, to the extent of allowing him to kill him. Uh, and Edward II is not successful. He's a weak man. He's a pious man who gives in to too many um, things. Oh, he's a, he, 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 he isn't a resolute man. Uh, and therefore he gives in. <clears throat> and, and it's that gradual falling out with Roger Mortimer and uh, giving in to his favourite's will to kill him that it is the falling out. So Roger Mortimer's actually not done anything wrong. He's found himself in jail, in prison, in the tower, really because he, he he's tried to do everything right. But in so doing, he's fallen out with uh, Judas Spencer. Again, you just see this repeat so many times throughout history with favourites. Favourites toppling each other. I'm thinking of sort of um, James the Sixth of Scotland when he was in his minority, and all those all those sort of clan favourites and all of the sort of you know the, the Kirks falling out over each over things. And oh yeah, <clears throat> toppling each other constantly. Um, it's it you, it's all about who's closest to the king. That's your top top guy, and yeah, it's it's a mark of a strong king that 
the favourites aren't allowed to command policy, that no one actually can countermand the king. But relatively few kings are strong enough to be able to resist the 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 um the allure of sharing role with a with a friend, with a favourite. And and that even goes for people I really admire, like Elizabeth. Um there are favourites there who are are, are dangerous to, to, to the to the crown. I mean, it must be. I mean, it's it's a lonely place to be, isn't it? At the top, if you've yeah. got nobody, you you need somebody that you can you can bounce ideas off of, somebody you can actually talk to. And yeah. if they're not necessarily acting in the best interest of the monarch or the um, or the country, then you're in trouble. But also, they've got to keep their rivals at bay because it's a position of of huge power. Absolutely. And of course, everybody always wants to take it away from you. So that, that immortal line from Shakespeare, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, is, is so true. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking sort of Machiavelli, sort of, yeah, think about absolute power. Yeah. Um, incredible. Uh, so it's it's amazing. This is we're talking 700 years ago. It's so recognizable. If you if you love history, it's the sort of thing that comes back and again. Uh, so I think more people should. Uh, should investigate Roger Mortimer. What what did he do after he escaped then? Come on, he's he's This he's is out. this is what's the really interesting because he went to France and he went uh-huh. to France where um Queen Isabella already was. Uh or, or where she turned up very quickly afterwards, very soon afterwards. She was sent there by Edward II to negotiate um with uh, the King of France, her brother, for um homage to lands that Edward owned in, in in France. But once she was there, and she then procured her son to be sent, Ed, the future Edward III, she hated Dispenser too. Ah. So you had Mortimer, Roger Mortimer in France. You had Queen Isabella in France. And Queen Isabella said that she was not going to go back to England while Hugh Dispenser was in power. And so this set up a, a big confrontation. And Edward II sided with Hugh Dispenser against his wife and remarkably against his eldest son, who he let go to France. So <laughs> there you have the future of the royal family with Roger Mortimer hating Dispenser in France and Edward and Dispenser basically readying England for invasion. What Roger Mortimer and Isabella did was they went to Hainaut, so Belgium area, uh, with the... Um, uh, the, the future king and promised his hand in marriage to Philippa of Hainaut or uh, allowed him to choose which of the, the five daughters he would like to, to marry, uh, and arranged a mercenary army to support them. They, they sailed back to England with that mercenary army. And although Edward II, on hearing they landed, uh, ordered one of the biggest armies ever to be assembled to resist them, he, he gave orders for over 40,000 men to assemble. None of them did. And in fact, the very few who Ooh. did uh, joined Roger Mortimer and Queen Isabella. They marched on uh, London, London turned to them, and a full-scale revolution was uh, underway. This is brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Just, I mean, what is, how different does his life look because of what he's done? Like, I'm thinking of consequences. Like, how does his after-tower life look so different to... To what it might have been if this falling out hadn't happened. He 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 put the I mean the spotlight was really on him as soon as he escaped because he was the only person who was of the the proven leadership qualities who had the status 
who had the willpower and the connections to topple Hugh Spencer and ultimately Edward the Second. And the, the 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 legacy is uh which I'll be talking about on the first of August, is that he peacefully removed the king from power. This had never been done in the whole of European history before, because Edward II was an anointed monarch. He was there by, as people understood it at the time, divine will. Uh, how do you get rid of a, a, an anointed monarch? People had got rid of Holy Roman emperors before, but they were elected. You know, they, they were chosen by their, their, their supporters, their, their vassals. So you could get rid of them by unelecting them. One king of Portugal had been got rid of by papal decree in the 13th century because he was completely useless. No one had ever got rid of somebody like Edward II before, but Roger Mortimer, using Parliament, got rid of Edward II. He basically gave him a choice between um, abdicating in favour of his son, Edward III, um, or basically seeing the royal family removed altogether, which wasn't a choice. And So when you think about power and Parliament... That is where it really comes from. The French Parliament developed as an advisory body to the king. The English Parliament evolved in the 14th century as a way to control the king. And that's one of the most important things in our whole history. Oh, my goodness. So yeah, this is this is a mic drop moment, Ian. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I spent my time a lot later in the 17th and, yeah. you know, the Parliament rebelling. Yeah. against the monarch and how well that ends up with Charles I and then the the structures that Parliament put in place during the interregnum to give, yeah. to limit the power of the monarch and the fact that that is then <clears throat> the Parliament inherited by Charles II unlike yeah. any before but if if you're if if what you're saying here is in fact true that the Parliament exists and has always existed to limit a monarch um then yeah, it I, had since that day. That I mean, the, the precedents, there, there were no precedents for doing anything like this. Edward I had been forced in 1297 to agree that he could not go to war without the, uh, the permission of Parliament because Parliament controlled taxation and he could not levy taxation without the agreement of Parliament. He acknowledged that in 1297 and various kings later in the Middle Ages agreed to it. <clears throat> so that was a first step towards giving Parliament real power, power over a king's will. The next real step forward was what Roger Mortimer did in 1327 by getting Parliament to choose to support getting rid of the the, the, the king. And now in 1327 what happened was that Parliament was agreed to depose the king if he didn't abdicate. So what Edward actually did was abdicate in favour of his son. So the real removal of the king was an abdication. Now, flip forward to 1399, when Henry IV comes on the scene and decides to do the same thing to Richard II. They go around the other way. First, Parliament deposes the king, and then he is made to abdicate on top of that. So the actual getting rid of uh, Richard II was the deposition by Parliament. But no one knew in 1327 whether that was possible or not. So Roger Mortimer was really testing the water and he was testing what Parliament could do. And he, in, as by making this successful, he invested Parliament with more power than it had ever happened, had ever had before. So what you're talking about in the mid 17th century is the legacy of two depositions in, mm. in the 13, in, in the 1300s. 
One which was agreed and then forced to navigation, and the other one was a proper deposition in 1399. That, uh, that use of Parliament to get rid of a divinely anointed monarch comes from what Roger Mortimer did in 1327, four years after escaping from the Tower. That's absolutely incredible. Um, I'm guessing, though, that the monarchs did fight back uh, at some point in those intervening years to give themselves more power over Parliament, because I know that you know, things like things like being able to levy taxes, the the monarchs could do that later, and then that's taken they away. They still had for for, for 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 extraordinary taxation. They still needed the support of Parliament. That never went away. And what's one of the reasons why Charles Charles the first. Uh, fell foul of Parliament was levying ship money. So actually going against this old tradition that had been demolished, first of all, in 1297. So that didn't. What actually happened in the interim is really interesting because this is another reason for looking at Edward III in a, a very positive light. As he saw, right, Parliament has all this power. Parliament has greater power than ever before. Therefore, I will work with Parliament. I will make Parliament my instrument. Now, Edward III was very good at sidestepping the difficulties of Parliament because he was a very successful king. Now, in in 1344, Parliament instructed him to go over to France and beat the French. 1346, he did that, you know, he he did what Parliament wanted. Um, But there had been crises with Parliament, too. In 1341, there was a major uh, confrontation between Parliament and Edward III. And, and he basically sidestepped the whole problem. He made a lot of promises in Parliament, and then as soon as Parliament was dissolved, he he he, he uh, annulled them all. So there were lots of tensions still, but the key, and Edward III's a really good example, Henry IV is another good example, you work with Parliament because Parliament now is so much more powerful. And if you think in terms of comparing with the Estates General in France, well, can you ever remember the Estates General holding the king to account before the late 18th century? No, it never happened um, because their parliament never had this tradition, which starts really in this, this period we're talking about with Roger Mortimer. It's of real importance. If you think in terms of where English parliament comes from, well, we all know about Simon de Montfort. A few of us know about Edward I and his development of parliament. And then you've got Roger Mortimer. That's what's really important about this period. Wow. I mean- yeah, mind, mind blown. So what you're saying, in effect, is that parliaments have always been trouble. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a king, parliaments are trouble. But if you're an ordinary person, how do you control a king? And if you think in terms of the whole sort of trajectory of controlling kings, well, it goes back to you know King John, most of all, uh, and the need for Magna Carta. And then the crisis with the French invasion just after uh, John's death and promising Magna Carta would always be on our statute books in order to keep everybody on our side. And then the development of Parliament as a result, really, of that. Little councils of men to control the king were there in John's reign. And then that developed into Parliament. And Sam de Montfort, of course, is the man who brought the, the, the commons into this, the or representatives of ordinary people or, or, or people who were substantial freeholders to, to basically limit the king's authority and to rule on the laws of the realm. Um, so this is a, a, a long chain of how we hold our otherwise despotic kings to account. Remember, I mentioned earlier, John would wall people up alive and starve them to death if he didn't like them. So this is a way of stopping that happening. 
We have a yeah, lot to be grateful to Parliament for, you know. They're not just a lot of toe rags. Maybe not right now. Okay, uh, so we mentioned already. Tell us about this event you're holding at the Tower of London to mark the anniversary, and where can our listeners get tickets to attend? Right, um, I believe you can get tickets through through the website. So that's the Mortimer History Society website. The event is called The Great Escape. The event is all day on the 1st of August. Um, there'll be four speakers. Um, Dr. Laura Tompkins talking about Roger Mortimer's escape itself. Um, Dr. Paul Dreiberer, the president of the society, who'll be talking about the early life of Roger Mortimer. Uh, Professor Chris Given-Wilson um, uh, uh, from uh, St. Andrews University, who'll be talking about the Mortimer family in general and the, the ways they, they support each other. And me, I'll be doing two talks, one about Roger Mortimer's achievements and successes, and the other one about a very different man, a 100 years later, who escaped from the Tower of London twice. He was a man called Sir John Mortimer, and his story is really remarkable because the law was changed specifically so he could be executed without trial, and then changed back again as soon as he was dead. So this is a, a, this man is a real enigma to people. But he definitely fills in this whole tradition of Mortimer's and the Tower and escaping and and, and fighting through Parliament. Um, so that that will be the concluding uh, uh, speech for the day. And tickets, I mean, tickets are quite expensive. They're about, I think they're £40. But that also allows you access to the Tower of London for the whole day, which normally costs you £30 anyway. So really, you're getting four, well, four very good speakers. Three of them are first class. I can't say that about myself. I've been posting. <laughs> but you're getting uh, all these speakers uh, and uh, 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 and, the, uh, and a tour of the tower or, or access to the tower all day for, for a, a reasonable sum. So 1st of August is the date, and it will be the very day that the 700th anniversary since this momentous event took place on that spot. It sounds, I mean, it's a bargain. It's basically £2.50 each speaker. <laughs> um, that's right you. it's it's a real deal I'm, are you not worried ian about going there with the, the history of mortimer's in the tower do you, do you want to take a rope ladder with you just in case well i i, I often travel with a rope just in case because i'm paranoid <laughs> about uh fire and heights but in this case i'm pretty confident and should the worst happen i will definitely channel the spirit of roger mortimer or steve mcqueen for that matter <laughs> uh and be first on my motorbike over the walls Amazing. Well, look, we're going to put all of the all of the details um, for how how listeners can get tickets um, up on the social media. We can sort that out, can't we, Alex? Absolutely. Yeah, and if if you do that get spot, we'll bust you out. So I reckon I reckon the yeah, history yeah, has got a range of tower bust <laughs> yeah. out. Great. I'm just I'm not promising we won't have all been down the pub Thursday, so it might be quite. <laughs> Well, you know, be the spirit of the first of uh, August too, the, the 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 feast where they all got drunk and poisoned. So, um, Lockie's that tall that I think he could just reach up and like lift you down from the window. So, oh well, there we go, job done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're definitely channeling the drunk arts, I should think, at History Act. It's a more our vibe. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here. Been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. Our incredible guests give us forty-five minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop 
supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.